see some of our snowbirds back today and uh, it started snowing yesterday and I went oh no not three Sundays in a row but we're glad they're here if you're here in person or if you're joining us online today thank you for being a part of that and if you have a program there's an outline in there if you're online or if you have your tablet if you click on the version app uh, find ACC events and find ACC you can follow along electronically and I did just want to mention that coming up this summer and summer's not that far away we're going to do another special series called you ask for it and it's going to be sermon topics and subjects and ideas and books or whatever that you would like to have answered. And so there's a QR code. If you have your phone, it's also in your uh, uh, program today. You can click on there and it'll give you a form and you can go ahead and tell us there what you'd like to hear a message about uh, in June and July this summer. So I'd encourage you to plan to be a part of that. Well, our focus in our encounter series over the next six weeks is going to turn to Luke and John. And I still hope that you're kind of following along in the encounter challenge uh, to read through the four uh, gospels, uh, lives of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, you should be getting to Luke by now. If you haven't, that would be good. If you're just getting started, I would just jump in with Luke and then read through John and then go back and read Matthew and Mark at another time. But today we're going to take another look at one of those encounters. And I think probably most of us here would agree that we don't like it uh, whenever a mealtime gets interrupted. And so solicitors coming to the door can be a bit annoying, or those telemarketing calls uh, can be a little bit irritating. And when you sit down to eat, don't don't you want to enjoy the food and the time with your family? And that's true not only of a normal evening, but it's especially true if you actually have guests over for dinner. So imagine how you might feel if uh, you had an uninvited guest decide to crash your dinner party. Well, that's exactly what happens in encounter number seven, uh, the first of three from the book of Luke. And we're going to discover today how an ugly past actually inspired the most authentic worship. Now, there are some really awkward stories in the Bible. I got to be honest. And today's story is kind of one of them. And it's not just awkward. It's really kind of a little bit strange. He might say, is it okay to say a Bible story is strange? Yes. Uh, but uh, what, what it uh, should be noted is how Jesus didn't seem to be phased at all by the awkwardness that day. See, he'd been invited to a dinner party hosted by Simon the Pharisee. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it tells a story of a divine dinner interruption by a sinner expressing her gratitude for God's forgiveness. And honestly, when I look at this passage, the question that comes to mind for me is, how much do I really love Jesus? And uh, let's go ahead and jump in. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. 
As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, and she kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, uh, he said to himself, Oh, this man were a prophet. He, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Well, he hadn't even said anything, but Moses says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed uh, a certain money lender. Uh, one owed uh, 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I, I, I suppose, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then Jesus turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I, I came into your house, and you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she actually wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. Ladies, can you imagine that? He said, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I came in, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't pour any oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have obviously been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who forgives sins also? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith, it saved you. Go in peace. Now, while each one of these encounters with Christ that we're looking at uh, are unique, uh, this one contains some social implications that really made it pretty awkward. And how it played out had to be fairly uncomfortable for everyone that was there, except for Jesus. Now, Jesus had become kind of a popular teacher. But there were still many of the Pharisees and the religious leaders who didn't know quite what to think about him. Uh, so one of the Pharisees, Simon, decided to have Jesus over for dinner. And as they're eating their meal, this sinful woman, quite possibly a prostitute, invited herself to the dinner, which sounds a bit strange to us, but oftentimes dinners like these with religious leaders there were actually public events. And while the food was only served to the people who were invited, anyone who wanted to attend the dinner, which would often be held in a big courtyard or a larger room, they were welcome to observe. And so you might wonder, why would anyone choose to attend a dinner that they haven't been invited to and they weren't going to be fed? Well, it's because in that culture, it was almost kind of a form of entertainment uh, and also proved to be educational. I mean, remember, these guys didn't have TV. They didn't have the Internet. They didn't have social media. And so people actually like to come and see how the wealthy and the powerful and the influential lived. And when two or more religious leaders were having dinner, people liked to be able to listen in to their conversation. Well, Luke describes the scene in a way that almost seems unimaginable. Because they're right in the middle of the meal, likely discussing important issues, when a woman who's a known sinner interrupts everything by engaging in this embarrassing display of emotion and devotion towards Jesus, which we know included weeping. But apparently she wasn't just crying softly, the Greek words that used here actually means to sob or to wail out loud. 
And we're told that this was happening as she was standing behind Jesus. Now, remember, that's because they didn't sit in chairs at tables like we do. They would oftentimes eat their meals reclined on the floor, maybe propped up with a pillow under their arm, and their feet would over, be over to the side and, and then behind them. And so she's loudly crying, and the tears begin to fall on Jesus' feet, which would have been filthy from the dust on the road. And because even though as an invited guest, his feet should have been washed upon entering the house, that common courtesy uh, was not extended to him that day. Well, after washing his feet with her tears, she begins to wipe them with her hair, even kissing them and anointing them with perfume. And many of the people watching that scene uh, play out had to be thinking to themselves, Wow, you don't see that every day. Uh, And and it's revealed that Simon was actually entertaining some very judgmental thoughts in his mind, not only towards the woman, but also towards Jesus. And that brings me to three encounter observations that we want to make today. We're going to hear a powerful testimony, and then I want to leave you with a couple of applications, and we'll be done this morning. So let's start with the uh, encounter observations. The first one would be this. If you notice, Jesus was very comfortable with both religious as well as irreligious people. And that's because while God hates sin, um, that isn't going to stop him from seeking out the sinner. You know that Jesus came to this world because God loves sinners. And Jesus oftentimes was accused of hanging out with them. Back in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, Jesus said, Wow, here's my reputation. Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And what we've discovered is that there were sinners. There were tax collectors. There were murderers. There were thieves and even prostitutes who were all strangely attracted to Jesus. Now, I want to make a very important point here, and the fact is, you got to know with Jesus, acceptance did not equate to approval. Acceptance did not equate to approval. you got to know that God sees every person being infinitely more than how they look or what they do. And so God looks past your physical appearance as well as your actions, and what he sees is a child of God. In other words, someone that he helped create. And so God loves you regardless of who you are or what you've done. However, the reason we know that context matters is that even though God associates with sinners, he's never going to condone it when they do something that he would consider sinful. And so I I just want to point out, while Jesus was very comfortable hanging out with sinners, it didn't mean that every sinner was comfortable hanging out with Jesus. You know, one of the best verses, well-known verses in all the Bible is John three sixteen. God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, so the door is wide open. But it's interesting if you jump down just a couple of verses lower to verse 19 of John chapter 3, notice what we read. This is the verdict. Lights come into the world. That was Jesus. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that his deeds may be exposed. That brings us to in, uh, our, our exposition number two, uh, which is the fact that Simon, if you notice, felt no need for what Jesus offered this woman. You see, Simon viewed himself as righteous Uh, But this woman, as a sinner, as he looked down his self-righteous nose at her and condemned her. 
And you know, verse 39 actually reveals Simon's heart just a little bit farther because he even begins to think that he's actually better than Jesus. I mean, he couldn't understand why Jesus didn't say anything to her, but instead allowed her to actually touch him, which made Simon start to doubt the spirituality of Jesus as he internally started to accuse Jesus of not having any spiritual discernment. Well, not only did Jesus know exactly what kind of woman it was uh, as he accepted his, her worship of him, but he also knew exactly what kind of man Simon was, and he also knew what he was thinking. Now, what I want to remind us of today, you may think that your thoughts are private. And all of us here have these little bubble thoughts, aren't we? We're having a conversation, and somebody says something to us, and this little bubble thought pops up. That's what my wife says, because she says, I didn't really say it to him, but that was my bubble thought. So we all have these bubble thoughts that we think nobody knows. (laughs) Well, Jesus does. He saw Simon's bubble thought. And when Jesus saw that, he he strategically decided to apply an emotional word picture to help a religious leader learn a lesson from a known sinner. I mean, don't miss this. Jesus used a sinful woman to teach a Pharisee a spiritual truth. Now, the average wage back then was about one denarius a day. And so 50 denarii was almost two months' wages, while 500 would have been almost two years' worth of wages. And so in today's terms, uh, that would be equivalent to about a $15,000 debt compared to a $150,000 debt. And it could be said that the woman was the great sinner, while the Pharisee Simon was the lesser sinner, because he tried to keep the laws of God religiously. But was, was that really true? I mean, not necessarily, because while the woman was a public sinner, the Pharisee was a private sinner, since it was his thoughts, it was actually his thoughts, that were the most sinful. And so while the woman saw herself as a great sinner, Simon thought of himself as actually a pretty good person. But notice in the story that actually neither of them could repay their debt. And so if any debt is too large to repay, Does it really matter how large it is? And and even though Simon had invited Jesus to eat in his home, if you notice, he had no perception of needing Jesus, and so he was kind of only casually interested. He didn't even offer him the, the customary courtesies of the day. The woman, on the other hand, she knew exactly why she was there. She felt a real spiritual need for Jesus, and so she was there to honor him in this amazing display of devotion. And Jesus actually points that out in verse 47. He says, you know, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And so what did this woman's acts of extravagant um, love, what did it reveal about her heart? Well, that brings us to observation number three. See, this woman's devotion to Jesus was rooted in her recognition of forgiveness. She knew she was forgiven. Now, put yourself in this situation, and you could maybe easily imagine the discomfort of the people um, who would have really considered what they were watching as, as this embarrassing outburst of emotion. And I'm wondering today, have you ever been in a situation where someone else was showing too much emotion for you? I mean, it's pretty uncomfortable. And at first, I would imagine in the room, kind of this uncomfortable silence filled the room. And then people probably started talking under their breath. And all that time that's happening, Simon has to be thinking to himself, 
Why in my house is this taking place? And yet, as many in the house were cringing in discomfort, isn't it interesting that Jesus just calmly accepted this display of emotion and affection as something that was acceptable and even appropriate? Now, I want to take a little poll today, and I want to see every hand that it would fit. How many of you here today, how many of you like to cry in public? Please raise your hand high, because we'd like to meet you and find out why, why you do. I've never met anybody who wants to cry in public. Uh, most people, including myself, don't like crying in public. It's embarrassing. So what do you think it took for this woman to approach Jesus in this way? Can you imagine for a moment the humiliation she must have felt in that moment? And the glares that she must have had to endure. And so you wonder, what does that the answer is love. What emboldened her to be willing to be embarrassed on Jesus' behalf was her love for him. And folks, what we got to know is that all spiritual development hinges on this point. Those who are forgiven much, what? Love much. And see, this woman was being shamed as she approached Jesus that day to demonstrate her love for him. And yet his love was more powerful than all of her shame because great forgiveness equals great love. And so when Jesus clearly assured this woman that her sins were forgiven, he did so because he wanted her to be able to move forward in a new life with God without the shame of her past weighing her down. You know, the only effective antidote to shame, which we've all experienced, is true forgiveness. And that's because, folks, shame was no match for the unconditional love of Christ. It wasn't then, and it isn't now. But I'll let, I'll let Kim share her story with you about that. My name is Kimberly Mooney. My husband and I and our children have been attending ACC for about four years now. I grew up in a beautiful, lavish house that some might call a mansion. It had a swimming pool in the backyard. And behind those gorgeous doors of that house were a lot of bad things. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of abuse, physical and emotional. And I think it's important to share that story. Um, because for most of my life, I've carried around a lot of shame and guilt because of things that have been done to me. I can recall being drugged down the hallway, the biggest hallway in that big house by my hair, multiple times, just drugged down the hallway. I can remember clumps of my hair coming out and falling to the ground. And the first couple of times that it happened, I would yell and scream and fight back. And finally, as it continued, I would just close my eyes, go limp, and let it happen. I knew the hair would fall out. But somewhere in there, I saw Jesus. I would close my eyes, and I would just see Jesus. And as young as I was, I knew that this is not what was meant for me. This is not God's design. This is not how children were to be treated. Um, I can recall one time... I was on the phone for too long with a friend and he came in and he grabbed the phone from me and then he grabbed my other arm and he broke it and I heard the snap and he heard the snap and I looked into his face and for some reason I felt like I might see an ounce of remorse 
knowing and hearing what he had done wrong, and instead he walked away. There was no sorry. There was no apology. Apologies were never anything that was heard in our family. But perhaps the most heartbreaking thing for me, or one of them, was watching my older sister get beaten up. My sister was thrown against a washer and dryer. She was punched by my dad. She was kicked. She had a bloody nose, a bloody eye. Her ribs ended up broken. And I had to stand there and watch that. No one thought to shield my face. Several years later, um, my brother committed suicide. I was so close to him. I loved him so much. Um, there were multiple times in my own upbringing that I, th I thought suicide would be the answer. I thought that I need to take my own life because I'm not sure that I can do this anymore. And for so many years, I struggled with that. I struggled with anger with God. Um, I was a very angry person for, for a long time. And I met a pastor who I became extremely close to. And one of the words of wisdom he gave me was, Kimberly, God knows you're angry. Why are you trying to hide it? God knows that you, you're so upset and you're so confused. And in all of my anger and all of my sadness, I can honestly tell you my relationship with God became so close because I had to pick up his word. I had to seek out good, solid people that would speak truths to me, not what I wanted to hear, not stroke my anger, not encourage the anger. I needed to hear about the faithfulness of God and how God is a God of redeeming things. He's a merciful God. And so the last thing I feel compelled to leave you with is this verse in Romans. It's Romans 5, um, and it is 3 through 5. And it says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. It's that box of shame. Hope, hope, does, hope kicks the crud out of that box of shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that is so important. God never left me. And God has blessed me abundantly. God took that box of shame and he gave it back to me in a gift. He gave it back to me by his son dying on a cross. And I don't have to carry that shame and guilt with me anymore. What an amazing story. But, but what God's love is able to do. And I just encourage you, that's just a small portion of uh, Kim's testimony if you go to our website, click on My ACC, and there's a link. You can watch it in its entirety or uh, at our YouTube channel as well. 
And so let's, let's wrap things up today with a couple of encounter applications. And I think most of us who showed up today are likely leaning towards one side of this equation or the other. Probably either pride or shame. And what I found is that guys usually struggle a bit more with pride, women a little bit more with shame. And why, why does Satan bring that on? Well, Satan knows that that's what will keep us from leaning into our relationship with God. Pride, which keeps us from acknowledging our need for God, and then shame which leads to believing that we're not worthy enough to be loved by God. And so the first uh, application I'd have would be this. Pride leads us to misjudge ourselves and others. See, those who are blinded by their pride are unaware of how much they actually need forgiveness themselves. And so they don't have a proper appreciation for it. Uh, When Jesus told the story of two debtors, uh, which one do you think Simon was and which one do you think the woman was? Well, I think most of us would say probably that the woman was the bigger debtor and Simon, the, the, the little one. But I'm really not so sure. I mean, could it really be that this story is trying to show us that there's no such thing as a little debtor at all? That there's only people who think that they have a little debt. But everybody is actually a big debtor. Uh, some people just think that they're, they're not. And so you've got to recognize pride really replaces God with yourself in your life as to who or what gives you value or validation. And we see that once again in in the Pharisees in Luke chapter 18, a few verses down the road, Jesus actually tells a story about a Pharisee who stood by himself and, and look at what he prayed. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like this poor tax collector. Man, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I've got. Aren't you glad, God, that you've got me on your team? And see, you know, the longer you've followed Christ, if you're not careful, Uh, It's easier to become prouder of the good you've done than to be humbled by the reality of your sin and uh, understanding your, your need for forgiveness. Because, folks, Jesus welcomes all sinners because all are sinners. Every one of us here in this room has an infinite, unpayable sin debt to God. But many people are kind of blind to their own sin. And so they think of themselves, hey, I'm a pretty good person. Simon's a great example of that. Now, when I say that, i got to recognize, for some people, acknowledging your sinful condition can be a painful realization to come to because maybe you're like that woman before she actually encountered Christ and you're feeling already pretty poorly uh, about yourself. But that's when we have to recognize, folks, you know what, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's not anyone better or worse. It's just a level at the foot of the cross. And so if you want to actually feel better about yourself, don't attempt to see yourself as better than other sinners. Instead, the way to do it is to see yourself as the actual sinner that you really are and then be truly grateful for how much God loves you and how much he's forgiven you. Because, see, when it comes to our sin, God just didn't say, oh, don't worry about it, that's okay, we'll just brush that under the rug, I'll overlook it. He actually forgave us based on the fact that Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross. And i got to ask this question, folks. When was the last time you wept because of your sin? I'd ask myself that question because I could get into the, 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 the feeling of Simon as easy as anyone else. See, in order to approach Christ like this woman, uh, we must constantly recognize our need for him. Even though we've been baptized, we attend services, we might read the Bible and pray. When we compare ourselves to others, that might look better. But when we compare ourselves to Christ, we're nothing. And yet we're also everything to him. 
Uh, the second application I would want to leave you with is this. How do I see myself in relationship to Jesus? See, some people act interested in Jesus, but they're not really motivated by deep spiritual need. And so they often allow other things to take precedence. There's no genuine sense of what God's done for them. And what's true is if we fail to understand God's forgiveness in our lives, it results in one of two things. A self-righteous attitude that leads to contempt for others who are lower than us, or a love for God that is so shallow as to almost be non-existent. And what's been described to us today are two very different approaches to Jesus, if you notice. Simon's approach just happened to be a sense of obligation alone, which, which led to him offering limited courtesy to Jesus mixed with really self-righteous confidence. The woman's approach, on the other hand, was from a place of authentic gratitude for forgiveness that generated such a deep sense of love that it couldn't be contained, it couldn't be hidden, and she wasn't concerned about what others thought about it when it overflowed that day in authentic worship. And you know what? We find those two approaches presented today. Because some people walk in this room, and they're kind of like Simon. It's a sense of obligation. I'm a Christian. I have to go to services. And so worship is often routine and has little impact on real life. But others come in like that woman with an unstoppable desire to be close to the one who saved them. And they never have to be encouraged to give their best to the Lord. Because that's what they do naturally out of the love that they have for him. And so I'll close with just a simple question. Are you seeking Jesus out of obligation or devotion? Let's pray. Father, hard things to hear today, hard things to listen to, hard things to process. It's so important for our relationship with you. Father, I want to ask for forgiveness for myself when I've acted like Simon. Like I'm a pretty good person. And so I'll hang around you, Jesus, but I don't desperately need you. Lord, I desperately need you. Just like everybody else in this room desperately needs you. Father, I pray that we would have the heart of that woman today and that our our love and our devotion to do you would be out of our recognition of your incredible love and forgiveness for us. And I ask and pray that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.